Thank you for being here on this uh, soft opening Sunday. And the first service was kind of strange because you've got to look at the camera because you're doing the live stream and you can't do the views. Anyway, I don't have to do that today. I can be much more second service. You can be more whatever. Um, but let me just say this before I get started. Um, preaching to people with face masks on is really tough. I have no idea what you're thinking. Um, I had a football coach in high school who was a character, and he quoted Frank Howard all the time. And for those of you who are older, Frank Howard, excuse me, for those of you that are more mature, Frank Howard was the head coach at Clemson for almost 30 years, and he had some incredible one-liners. And years ago, still today, you can have a tie in a football game. You have to go through an ex exhaustive playoff overtime system. There are very few ties. But in the old days, a lot of times the game would end in a tie, which means there's no winner, there's no loser. It's just a tie. You walk off the field, and we didn't win, and we didn't lose. And my coach said, one day after we had a tie game, he says, like my hero Frank Howard says, a tie game is like kissing your girlfriend goodnight through a screen porch door. Now, some of you don't, don't understand that. Some of you have never been around screen porches. But screen porches are, or, or screen doors, screen doors are doors with screens in them. And there's no contact. So it, kind of worshiping with mask on is kind of like worshiping through a screen door or whatever that is. But anyway, it's, it's difficult. So just bear with me and bear with each other. But thanks for being here. The scripture says in Romans chapter 8 that the creation groans in anguish. And then Paul says, and we also groan. The groaning process means that, that life is not as it should be because of the fallen nature of the world. And so the creation groans because you can go to places and see majestic panoramic scenery that is breathtaking, but you also uh, experience hurricanes and humidity and COVID-19. So in, in relationships, we groan. The, the best marriages have times when you just groan and you don't understand each other. The most wonderful parenting of children. Um, sometimes you say life couldn't be better, the kids, kids could not be better, and sometimes you just groan because there is a fallenness there. Um, in jobs, in nations, there's time when you, you, you just groan in the midst of joy. And the issue is that nothing, listen to me, nothing just falls into place unless you pursue it. In the things of the Lord, there are times when you go strong, you're doing great, but sometimes you feel like you're on a treadmill and sometimes you're just discouraged. And that's why I've been looking at Psalm 16 on how to maintain your happiness, how to pursue happiness, how to pursue the the shalom, the benediction, the goodness that the Lord wants to bring into your life. And I've been mean, going through the Psalms. The Psalm, Psalm 1611 is the thesis statement. That's the last verse of the Psalm where the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So you make known to me the path of life. So there's a path to life, he says. There's a path you follow, and as you follow, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. So as you walk down this path, intentionally, the psalmist says there's fullness of joy. Now, please hear this. Please understand this, that in this whole issue of the path of life and doing the right thing, we are called upon to be people of obedience, but unless the Spirit of God energizes and touches us, it's not going to happen. So we, we work hard to do the right thing, and then we, as we do it, we cry out, Holy Spirit of the living God, teach me, show me yourself, show me the beauty of Jesus. The way I understand that is, for example, in Mark chapter 10, there's a man named Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is blind. Now, in the day of the Lord, people thought that if you had a physical issue, blindness, if you're lame, you're deformed, whatever, it's because either you sinned or your mom and dad sinned. John 9 says that, and Jesus says that that's just not the case at all. But, 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 so if you're blind, the culture at large considers you to be persona non grata, outcast. And so this man named Bartimaeus, who's blind from birth, hears that Jesus the healer has come into his village. And so he sits at the path where Jesus, he thinks, is going to walk. And as the crowds come forward, he cries out with a loud voice, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, the son of David is a term saying that Jesus is the divine Messiah who fulfills the promise given to David that there'll be a king forever on his throne. So it's a statement of high worship of Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him said, Bartimaeus, be quiet. He's way too important to mess with somebody like you. You're blind. Get over it. And as he cried out, Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. They brought Bartimaeus to him. He said, what can I do for you? He says, master, I want to see. Jesus gave him his sight. That's you and me. Here's the path. We sit by the path. We cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And we ask the Lord to show up by his spirit. Sometimes, church, I'll go to worship. Sometimes I'll be singing. I love to sing. Sometimes I'll be meditating on scripture. And I'm going, it was kind of dry. Sometimes I open the scripture and read and go, boom, 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 boom. But the issue is the Holy Spirit has to show up. But I've got to make the effort to get there. You just don't fall into thinking well, living well along the path of life. So he, he says this, you've made known to me the path of life. And in the preceding verses, he tells us what the path of life is. And you come to verse 9, and he says this, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, it points to a previous argument. It's a very important word. It says, therefore, he says, my my heart is glad, my inner being is glad, and my whole body rejoices, and my flesh dwells secure. Now, who doesn't want that? A glad heart, a happy body, security. In fact, the, the word here says, that therefore my heart is exuberantly happy, my whole being is filled with gladness, and my flesh is secure. I want that. 
I want gladness and security and happiness. The same word secure is used, for example, in Proverbs chapter 1, where it says this, verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without any dread of disaster. Dwell secure. Ezekiel, the Old Testament, talks about security. And he talks about the false shepherds in Ezekiel 34. And then he talks about the true shepherd who will come and will shepherd his people in security and safety. And that shepherd is Jesus. Listen, Ezekiel 34, it says, and, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. This is 500 years after David, the king is dead. So it's about the descendant of David. My one servant David, and he shall feed them, and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I will be the Lord Jehovah. I will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And the result is this. Next verse. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely. Hear that? Securely. Safety in the wilderness, and they will sleep in the woods, and I, and I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be showers of blessing, and the trees shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure. So word again, same word. Be secure in their land, verse 28. They shall dwell securely. So I step back and look at verse 9. Therefore, th therefore my, my, my heart is glad and my body rejoices and I shall dwell securely. I want that. And so the question is, how do you get there? And you go to verse 11. It says, where he says that there is a path of life and right living. You make known to me the path of life. So let me go over the path of life and then go to verse 9 particularly. So this is the path of life. Number one, you have dependence upon the Lord. Preserve me, O God, for in you I find refuge. There is dependence upon the Lord. Number two, I have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. And what the psalmist is saying here is that, is that what we call the highest good or the summum bonum of the person of worship is the living God whose name is Jesus. I have said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You treasure Jesus. You say the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So that's number two. Number three, by way of comparison and contrast, you're an observer of life. If you want to walk in the path of life, observe people. Verse three. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He says, I love the people of God. I love being with them. I love the way they they. They embrace and they care. I'm so glad to be back today. I really, face mask and all. It's really good to be here today. But then in comparison, he says this. This is, this is incredible. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Not increase. The word is not increase. Multiply. 
their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name upon my lips. The, the, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Understand this. When you walk in a, a way that is not centered on the reality of the living God, you can make really bad decisions. And, and, and there's a scale I call the scale of depravity. There, there's, this, there's some noble-hearted people who, who, are, who are kind and gracious, and then there are people way down here who, who are more given over to evil things. Example, this week, just a cursory reading of the news, um, I read about a couple, a Hollywood couple, uh, actor and actress, and fairly well-known, and they came out and said, after 19 years of marriage and a child that just graduated from high school, a little girl, young girl, they said, we are now going to divorce as best friends. Listen, that is a lie. You don't divorce as best friends. But behind that statement is brokenness and pain and sorrow and anguish and sleepless nights and bitterness and unresolved tension and unforgiveness. It's horrible. It's horrible. They're pretty noble-hearted people. But see, they have bought the lie. On down the scale, read this week, and I'll try to keep this very PG. There's a, there's a woman who was arrested in New Hampshire this week, who was born into a upper, upper, upper class, privileged British family, went to the finest schools, uh, came to the United States and started becoming friends with some of the most powerful financial minds in New York. And as they got to know each other, her job was to recruit young women who would be with middle-aged and older men in ways that are unspeakable. They would fly on private jets to islands and do all types of things. And, and now she has been arrested for that. And you think, well, this is way down the scale. But again, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall, listen, multiply, multiply. And then comes the resolve. The next thing is our, our resolve and the gladness. Is therefore, I will not even speak their names or pour out their blood offerings. And then he steps back and he says, verses five and six. The Lord is my chosen portion. The Lord is my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I, I, so I thought through this passage, I was thinking about our young people. I thought about people that just got married. I thought about people who just got out of high school and college. And, 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 and I, I thought, if only they could see the inheritance and the legacy of faith and diligence and energy that God will pour in their life as they honor and love Jesus, it would blow their minds. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. You hold my lot secure. So, so, so this is the path. The, the, the path is declaring your allegiance and your dependence upon the Lord. The, the path is saying that he's your highest good. The path is loving the people of God as you observe life and understand there's a diminishing return for what you do. The, the path is staying away from sin and embracing the goodness of the Lord. And then we come to verse 7 and 8. 
I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Even in the night, my heart instructs me. I have said the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. So, so what are you saying is this? Because I have set the Lord before me and I'm thinking God's thoughts after him and I'm pondering them and I'm going through them and I'm trying to apply them and I'm saying them over and over in my mind because I am ruminating over the scripture. Because I've set the Lord always before me, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, verse 7, he gives me counsel even in the night, my heart instructs me. Let me ask you this. When you wake up in the middle of the night, and you will start doing that, I promise you. When you wake up in the middle of the night, either we sit and we think about troubles and issues and whatever's happening around us, and we begin to become sorrowful or forlorn, or we push them back in the closet and we start thinking about the promises of God and the character of God. And, 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 and all of a sudden, our spirit is lifted. Now, that's why I love this passage. The psalmist says, I've said the word before me. And because of that, even in the night, my heart instructs me. When I wake up, the psalmist says several times in the book of Psalms, he says, my heart, I praise God during the night watches. And so it's, it's something we mentally do. Either we run to the Lord and, his, and we trust in Him, we commit our lives to Him, our friends to Him, our future to Him, the situation around us and our nation to Him, or we, we stew. So I'm going to look at verse 9 now and give you three principles. Therefore, as I walk down the path of life, therefore, my heart is glad my whole being rejoices, my flesh will dwell securely. So three statements, they're all interrelated. Number one, if we're to be the people of God and do the things of the Lord, if we're to live with happiness, if we're to live well, I must think well with biblical content, doctrine. It's interesting. For example, the book of Ephesians, six chapters. The first three chapters are just full of doctrine. It's full of the glory of Jesus, the rescue of Christ, prayer for the church, growing in the Lord. And then you get to chapter four after that heavy, glorious doctrine. And it says, I therefore... Okay? Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord plead with you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. So, so, so the therefore goes back to, see, the first three chapters. The book of Romans. Romans 1 through 11. The greatness of our salvation. The glory of the gospel. The substitution of Christ on the cross. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit being justified freely by grace alone through the work of the cross alone as you look to Jesus. And, and then through, it talks about the mystery of redemption in chapters 19 11. They get to chapter 12 and he says, I therefore plead with you to worship in a worthy manner so you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect and pleasing to the Lord. But I therefore, 
So, so my, my, my point is, if, if I am to be the person God's called me to be, I must think well. We just got back last night and had the opportunity to go to California and visit my son who just moved from Washington to California with his three grandchildren and his wife. They're living 45 minutes from Yosemite Park. It's a beautiful place where they're living. Did a lot of hiking, uh, mountains, massive mountains, uh, beautiful lakes, fishing lakes. It's just, just great. So anyway, uh, second day there, first day there, uh, we decided to walk around something called Convict Lake. It's about four miles. And I had a rental car. And something happened to me that's never happened before, and I've rented cars all over the world. I lost my keys. So I got back to the car. Somehow they dropped out of my pocket. I went, oh, gosh. So it should be Lake Stupid, not Convict Lake. I went back three times and retraced my steps. Couldn't find them. Well, the second time I went back, before I left, I have a grandson that's almost five. And uh, Sarah, my wife, got the grandkids around and said, let's pray for Papa, that's me, that he can find his keys. And I thought, oh, don't put God on the spot like this, you know, this is not good. So anyway, so they prayed, my little five-year-old almost prayed that Papa would find his keys, and I prayed, and... I didn't find them. When I got home from that trip and my little grandson gave me, he said, Papa, did you find your keys? I said, no. And he, his face fell and he, and he walked away and he came back and says, maybe Jesus was asleep when we prayed. And I went, oh. And I just put my arms around him and I said, oh, let me tell you something. I said, he never sleeps. He never sleeps. He always watches over us. And not only that, but the Bible teaches, he didn't get this, but I just want to plant it. The Bible teaches that right now Jesus is in heaven praying for us that we'd be strong and find our security and hope in him. See, I want him to think well. And in the future, I'll give him a little couplet by John Newton that would deal with losing your keys or whatever. And Newton says this, and everything is necessary that he sins Nothing is necessary that he withholds. Isn't that something? Everything is necessary that he sins, but nothing is necessary he withholds. You can trust the goodness of God. So if I, if I am to walk this path, I've got to think well. Think well. You don't fall into it, church. I've got to be a good student of Scripture, a good doctrinal student. The second point is this. To, to live well, to have happiness, I must be Intentional. Yeah. So, so what happens oftentimes is that we immerse ourselves in the news, whether it's about the COVID-19 spiking or whether it's about demonstrations in the streets or what statue has been torn down and what the anarchists have done today. And we get involved in that or, or, or other things. And we spend very little time here, very little time with God's people, very little time being energized by people who love Jesus. And, 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 we, and, and at the end of the day, we, we read verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices and I shall dwell securely. You see, I, I just don't feel that way. You know why? Because you haven't thought about these things. See, I, I've got to be intentional 
Philippians 4, Paul talks about the importance of, of being gentle and kind and forgiving and forbearing and prayerful. And, and then he says, finally, whatever is true and honorable and, and just and right and pure and lovely, if there's anything excellent or anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. See, dwell, not briefly run by, but dwell on them. Dwell on my sins are forgiven. Dwell on the fact that if my sins are forgiven, then I should be gentle and forbearing and kind to those around me. Dwell on the fact that there is a great eternal God who has no beginning and who has no end, who is the shepherd king of my soul. Dwell on my, 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 my security in Christ. Dwell on these things. You see, if I'm to live well, I've got to dwell on them. Not, not just kind of sort of know them, but dwell on them. Okay, I just got back from this trip hiking in the Yosemite Park. Beautiful, massive mountains. And I'd been thinking about Psalm 30 and just kind of clicked in Psalm 30. The psalmist says, I tried to memorize it. He said, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, you make my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. It's a beautiful statement. In other words, he says, you know, in my prosperity, things were going well. You know, the, 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 the cells were full of wind. I was going strong. And you, I said, I will never be moved. And he says, and then, Lord, just for a second, you hid your face. I lost your presence, and I was dismayed. By your favor, you make my mountain stand strong. So we're hiking, and we're all saying a little line. Look at that big mountain. By your favor, you make my mountain stand strong. You just, you just, you just, you, you, you just think intentionally. There's a dear woman that I love who had four children, and one of those children was uh, gave her. I run for her money, as the saying goes, when this child's a teenager. And she says, uh, when this young man was a, at school, she would go in his room and lay on his bed, and she said, I would paint his room with the blood of Jesus. And I would cry out, Son of God, have mercy on all my children, but this child especially. Uh, to me, that, that's living intentionally. That's saying, preserve me, O God, for in you I find a refuge. Number three is that we must develop godly habits. That's what this passage says, basically. Godly, godly habits, I'm saying, Lord, you gotta do it, preserve me. You're my ultimate good. I love the people of God. And as I observe life, I see the sin has diminishing returns. I rejoice in your goodness. You hold my lot secure. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You, you, you do these things. And, 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 and you develop godly habits. See, 1 Peter chapter 4 says this. Verse 1. Since therefore, there's another therefore. So the previous three chapters. Since therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh Arm yourselves in the same way, with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And I'm going, what does that mean? Here's what we sort of think it means. We arm ourselves, only time that word is used in the Greek New Testament, 
in this passage. You arm yourselves with the same way of thinking as Christ. Whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Whoever is willing to go to the mat for the living Christ has had the, the nerve center that leads to sin cut. It doesn't mean you're sinless, but it means, it means that sin has a diminishing flavor and enticement in your life because you're saturated with the Christ who lived obediently, lived in fellowship with the Father, loved the outcast, died on the cross as your substitute, rose victorious over death. You be centered on and gloriously thinking about, and you treasure Jesus, and as you do that, you're arming yourself. See, our problem, church, is that we often are just not armed. We, we, we know things, but we haven't pondered them into our heart. We know things, but they're not just really deep in our spirit. Give an example. Years ago, not so much recently, I enjoyed backpacking out west, east coast. And um, if you go out west, there's lots of bears, supposedly, and close to camp sites are these steel containers that you lift up and put your food in, and you close them, and you lock them so bears can't get your food. If you go into to the back country, and there are no steel lockers, obviously, you are to somehow tie the food up and put it high in a tree so animals can't get to it, and you can have breakfast the next day. Recently, I've read that... Um, Outdoorsmen are saying now that when you are backpacking, and especially out west, you change the clothes you cooked in so that the flavor of the food on your clothes won't draw a bear into your tent, which is not a good experience. Um, so here's my example. When we don't arm ourselves, we're like people, a couple of guys who've gone into the backcountry camping and it's been a long day. They've hiked maybe 15 miles, a long day. They've made their food, and they want to go to bed. And one guy says, you know, I am so tired. I'm, I'm not going to change my clothes. I'm just going to go in the tent. And I like to snack at night, so I'm going to take this bag of M&Ms and this, these three honey buns into the tent so I can kind of eat them as the night goes on. And his friend says, well, okay, but should we get the bear spray? No, the bear spray is over there. The backpack's about 20 yards from here. I'm just too tired. We'll let the bear spray stay there. And you know what? Two o'clock in the morning, a bear sticks his head in your tent. You're not armed. You haven't gotten rid of the M&Ms. You haven't changed the clothes. You haven't got the bear spray to spray in the bear. You're not armed. That's what we do. We, we kind of dilly about and do this and do that and do that, but we're not really thinking and pondering and rejoicing and being glad and saying, God, only you can preserve me. You're my summum bonum. I love the people of God. I've observed life. The, the, the lines have followed me from pleasant places. Lord, you're good. I'm going to live this way because I am arming myself with the scripture. The way I love my wife and the way I care for my children, the way I treat my neighbors, and the way I care for my brothers and sisters in Christ, and the way I pray for those around me, and the way I try to represent Jesus. So church, to live well and to pursue happiness, understand the path of life in Psalm 16. Let's pray. 
Lord, thank you for today's, just a chance to be together with the people of God. It is so good. And we pray during this season of uncertainty with COVID-19 and everything is up in the air, that we would realize there's a rock that is stronger than us and his name is Jesus. And we will run to that rock and we trust you, Lord. We just trust you. We trust you. Um, Help us to walk with a sense of intentionality. Help us, Lord, not to be unarmed. Help us to arm ourselves. I'm ready to arm ourselves with the Bible, with, with godly thoughts, with, with truth that's prayed into our hearts. Help us, Lord, um, to do that. We do pray for our country during this July 4th weekend. And Lord, we thank you that... Um, there's a wonderful legacy that's involved in being an American. And yet we acknowledge that because we are sinners, that all institutions and churches and businesses have, have need to be constantly reformed. So help us not to be arrogant and in, in saying that there's no need for improvement. There's need for improvement, but I praise you for men and women uh, who have lived with valor and integrity and courage, uh, who've, who've loved this country, and may we do the same. Uh, bless us, we pray. Move in us so that we can bless those around us in Jesus' name. Amen.